Amen. Can you hear me out there? This, this mic is a little different. I'm not used to it. I said I'm going to not know what to do with my hands, and I might just stand here a minute. But I am so excited uh, to be up here speaking again. Um, in case you don't know me, my name is Matthew Langdon. I'm, I'm actually uh, serving our church as our youth pastor right now, me and my wife. Um, have started doing that last year, um, and we've got wonderful helpers uh, that are helping us do that. And so um, I, I was given this opportunity by Clay, and I said, absolutely, uh, let me get up there and rebuke somebody from the stage. I, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to try my best to not offend you too much, but just, just enough that maybe maybe you'll change something, right? Maybe you'll start to do a little change. So this morning, we're going we're gonna, to uh, go through a little bit of James. We've been going through James the last uh, two weeks. Um, and so we're going to be at the end of chapter 1, starting at verse 19, if you want to turn your Bible there. Um, and I'm going to read through it, and then we'll pray over it, um, and then we'll jump into this message. So this is, this is a message about listening to the Word of God and doing what it says. So it says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Heavenly Father God, I thank you for this, this practical, applicable word this morning. I pray that you would anoint your word so that it would go out and not return void, but instead that you would soften our hearts to receive it that you would give me the ability to present this in a loving way, knowing that I am, I am guilty, that I am, my righteousness is as filthy rags, and it's, it's just because of your blood that was shed for each one of us that we can even come into a communion with you, that we can even begin to, to make ourselves right with you. So God, I pray that you would bless this message, that you would help us to hear it, that we would understand it, that we would begin to apply it to our life, that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit to live a transformed existence, that we would be empowered to live in your will and to walk that straight and narrow path. So God, I pray that you would bless us, that you would help us to receive it, um, and that you would anoint this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. So, there's a lot in there. There's a lot. Um, and it's, it's not something that, like, you read it and it's so straightforward. It makes so much sense that, that when you read it, you're like, yeah, this is something that I need to be doing. This is something that, that makes perfect sense. The book of James is extremely practical, and it just lines up and it tells you all of these great things that you need to do. And that's, that's what I really enjoy about James. But it's, it's not as easy as it sounds. And I was, I was thinking about my son 
as I was preparing for the message, and um, we, we went to a doctor's appointment a while back, and we was talking to one of the nurses, and she said, oh, you have a three-nager, right? Like, he's three, and like, I don't know who taught him these things, but like you'll say something to him real gently, and it's like he loses all control of his body, and he like drops on the floor, and like I've seen I've seen my high schoolers and middle schoolers do that. It's like how does that happen? Like who taught you to do that? Like I know your mom didn't just drop to the floor one day, and like you learned that behavior, but instead I, I don't know, and and so like I'll say something, I'll be like, don't you run head first at that cliff. And it's like I have insulted his very existence. Like, and, and I'm trying to like give him good direction. I'm trying to help teach him things. And, and it's like it wounds him. It hurts him so badly. And, and like he'll go, to, he'll go to, to Megan and he'll go to his mommy and he'll say, Daddy yelled at me and made me sad. <laughs> it's like I've never once yelled at you. Like what are you doing? And like he'll tell on me. And, and it's... it's he feels like he is a young man under persecution. Like he is, he is being actively persecuted by me. So I've got a definition for persecute here. Persecute means to harass or punish in a manner designed to injure, grieve, or afflict. And so most of the time we see this specifically uh, looking toward religion. And, and my son feels in his heart that I am injuring and afflicting. I am grieving his life when I am trying to talk to him and tell him not to do things that's probably going to like get him hurt. And so we, we need to understand that, that oftentimes, just like my toddler, we come under persecution where the things of life around us are causing us to, to feel like we're being punished, that we're being afflicted, we're being injured, we're being grieved. And as we move into the, the, the word from James, I want us to remember what this definition of persecution looks like and, and think about it in the context of where the church was at. So James 1.1 says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then he addresses it to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Hello. Right? So... When we, when we get into this, and I, I know Clay has kind of introduced us to the book of James and who James was and what this is all about, but I just wanted to quickly recap that, that this is an, a letter that is addressed to, the, to God's people, the 12 tribes. These are, these are God's people, and, and when we receive that blessing of salvation and we believe in Jesus, that we become part of God's family. So this is addressed to God's people and they are no longer where they should be, but instead they're scattered about. And the reason they were scattered was because of persecution. So I want us to think about what was going on in the lives of these people as they were scattered about. Um, and, and, you know, the first week and the second week we were talking about taking joy out of trials and, and how to withstand temptation. And, and the people that James is writing to, including us, are people who have existences where they're encountering persecution around every corner. There's something there that's trying to tear them down. They go buy their groceries, and maybe they run into another Jewish person, but because they're a believer of Jesus Christ, they're treated differently. Uh, when they go into the synagogues, there's, there's people who want them to not talk about Jesus. They, they don't want them to share their beliefs. They've been 
pushed out. They've seen friends and family be put to death, thrown into prison. And so there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure on them. And so James writes this to help them overcome this pressure and this persecution in their lives. And we can apply it perfectly to our lives as well. So let's look at verse 19. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, so if you believe that Jesus was the Son of God, this is addressed to you. You are a brother and sister of James at this point because we have become one with the family of God. And it says, take note of this. Take note. I want to just point out that James goes in and he makes it extra important that you pay attention to what he's about to say so much that instead of just saying it, he's telling you to pay attention because he's about to say it, right? So take note, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry because human righteousness, I mean human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So this is three things that we're going to really take a deep look at this morning as we go through this scripture. Three things that, that James says that it's so important that you should look at it twice. You should take note of it. You should probably write it down. And the order matters. The order that he wrote this in actually matters. And, and I'm, I'm not a big reader of, of the message translation, but, I, but as I was preparing, I pulled up the message, and it says it like this. Post this. At all the intersections, dear friends, lead with your ears, follow with your tongue, and let anger straggle along in the rear. God's righteousness doesn't grow from human anger. And I was like, man, that's poetic. That's beautiful. That I should go in and I should lead with my ear after I've, I've entered in and I've listened, then let my tongue speak, and the last thing that should follow would be my anger. And this is, this is important for us to, to pay attention to. This is important that we should take note. We should give attention to it. We need to understand. We need to post it. We need to write it down at all the busiest places in our life, like at our job, when we go out and, and we're trying to take care of our kids and they're driving us up the wall. When, like for me, I'm a school teacher, and when I'm in my classroom and there's that one kid, that one, like, amen. <laughs> like, I need to have this written down where I'm going to see it because everyone should be, number one, quick to listen. You got to be quick to listen. And... I got, I got invited to a devotional um, on the Bible app the other day, and, and uh, I accepted it. Um, it's it from a guy that I, I kind of know of. I know who his mommy is, but, but he invited me, so I, I joined in, and I was reading along, and uh, something, something struck me out of it, and it said that with the same passion and urgency that I wish to be heard, that is the same mindset that I need to use when I listen to somebody else. I want to be heard. I, I, I'm passionate about what I have to say, what I feel. And so instead of me trying to pour out what I've got first, instead I should use that urgency to receive what you have to say. I should lead with my ear so that I hear you. And we've talked about it before. But a lot of times you'll be sitting there listening to somebody and you're thinking about what you want to say back. You're thinking about like, okay, like, we're going to talk about this subject, 
What do I got to say about it? What do I think about it? What's my viewpoint? Where, where do I stand on this? Which, which party do I align with? And instead of listening attentively, instead of actually giving that person your full attention, maybe we're sitting on our phone, we're thinking about what we want to say, and, and we need to, to come to a place where we realize that if somebody comes to talk to me, I need to stop what I'm doing, I need to turn and I need to face them, and I need to say, I see you and I hear you. What you say is important to me. And just think about the change that that would have in your conversation if you acknowledge that you're speaking to another person and that you were giving them your full attention to listen. And a lot of times I feel like in conflict and in a struggle, if we would just let them know that they're important enough for us to give our full attention to, that, that it would help resolve so many issues. So everyone should be quick to listen. Second, everyone should be slow to speak. And this is something I, str I struggle with it uh, myself is, is sometimes I just blurt stuff out. Sometimes I just like, just let it right out of there. And I don't even realize it. And once it's out, there's no bringing it back. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you can't, you can't put the smoke back in the bottle, so to speak. And so we have to be careful when we speak to other people, because our words are powerful. Yeah. Our words are powerful. And so we need, to, we need to take a moment and think about what we're going to say. So I've got some really good godly wisdom that came straight from the Bible that I'm going I'm to walk us through when we think about being slow to speak. And, and these, are, these are different things that, that I've pulled out of different places in the Bible uh, just to kind of help me figure out what it is that I'm doing when I'm communicating with somebody else. And the first one is from Proverbs, and it says, There is more hope for a fool than someone who speaks without thinking. And sometimes I'm worse than a fool. I say things and I don't even think about it. And it's like I get, I get done, and then I reflect back, and I'm like, Why? Did I say that? Like, what was I actually thinking when that came out? And so there, you have to be thoughtful about what you're about to say. So if you would lead in with your ear, you would listen and then give yourself a moment to, to slow down, think about it, and then speak. Incredible difference. Incredible difference, right? Secondly, let your conversations be full of grace. Now, I can stop right there. And not even read the rest of it. Because most of us are not gracious with the people we talk to. We get so fed up with things. We, we, we got our own agenda. We got this emotion and this pressure in our chest. And we just, sometimes we just, just say it. And it, it's crazy what happens. And we should approach each other with grace. It should be seasoned with salt. So that you know how to answer everyone. I, I looked this one up in the message also, and it says, Make the most of every opportunity. Be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others through conversation, not put them down, and not cut them out. And if we would be gracious with one another, and we would try to understand what, what you're going through, that I could bring out the best in you. And a lot of times when I'm, when I'm in a conversation with somebody that I struggle with, when I'm in a conversation with somebody that I don't see eye to eye with, I really don't want to bring out the best in them because I already, I'm disagreeing with them up front. I've already got a little bit of beef, so to speak. 
And, and so it's like, I, like, I'm not trying to bring out the best in them. And so I need to, to alter the way that I talk to people. And one of the ways to do that is to always be humble and gentle, to be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's fault because of love. That's another tough one. It's like, man, this is heavy. This is hard to do. I don't do any of these things. Like, wait a minute. Like, how often am I patient with the people that I'm talking to, especially when they're on my last nerve? Like, I ain't patient with them. I'm not being humble and gentle. My wife wishes I would. Sometimes, sometimes I accidentally, it ain't on purpose. It ain't. It's not on purpose, but she'll say something, and so help me, Lord. I answer like I've told her a hundred times. She'll be like, where do you want me to put this now, Jean? Put it on the sink! Like, you know where I put it? Like, like, like I've told her over and over again, and that's the first time she asked me. And she's like, your tone is bad. Your tone is bad. It's like, well, yeah, you're right. Like, like she don't care to humble me, buddy. Uh, she don't care to rebuke me right there. Um, and so this is, where, this is where I need to be. A gentle answer will turn away wrath, and harsh words stir up anger. We need to come at people humble, gentle, patient, with love, being thoughtful, being gracious, to bring out the best in other people. And if we would communicate in that way, we'd be world changers. Like everybody that encountered you, if you would treat them in that way and you would talk to them in that way, it would be absolutely crazy because words have power. Words have the power to heal. They have the power to wound. They have the power to build or destroy. They have the power to, to lift somebody up or to tear somebody down. And, and, and we have to be thoughtful of the way that we did. We should be slow to speak. And thirdly, we need to be slow to become angry. And uh, man, that one, that one speaks for itself. We should let anger straggle along in the back and be the last thing that comes into the room with us. And we was at school preparing. We got, a, we got an end of pathway. I teach a computer, I mean a, a computer class. It's a, it's a career and technical um, pathway for, for the uh, Kentucky Department of Education. And so all of the students who have had enough credits in this pathway, they, they take a test to show that they've completed it and they do their best to pass and they get like this sweet rope uh, when, they, when they pass it. Uh, nobody cares about a sweet rope. Uh, but we were practicing employability questions, right? Employability uh, and, and one of the questions was, if you have a confrontation with your manager, you should. And then there's four choices. And one of the choices was develop an attitude. And I said, well, you know that one's wrong because you're starting with an attitude. And so, like, we lead in with that attitude. We come, and our attitude is already established, and it's out in front of us. But the Bible says that we should let that attitude come in last, we should do everything else first. And once we've listened, once we've thought about what we're going to say, once we've had a conversation, then your anger should show up. But we start with that attitude, and the Bible says that human anger is at odds with God's righteousness. Human anger 
is at odds with God's righteousness. They, they don't really meld together. They don't be, they're, they're not produced by one another. That when, we're, when, when we have that anger that we're carrying around, that God's righteousness cannot grow in that environment. That we need to let that be put aside. We need to let that become slow to develop so that the righteousness of God can grow in us. So we're going to do something real painful right here. I hope you're ready. We're going to do a little self-evaluation, okay? Uh, a little bit of self. So you don't have to stand up. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't even have to nod or say amen. But I just want you to think about, <laughs> I want you to think about the way that you communicate with other people. And uh, I tried to think about all the things that hurt me the most so that I could share it with you, okay? Like, I, I wanted to think about the things that I'm super guilty of uh, so that maybe you're guilty too, right? <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to evaluate ourselves, and we're going to do this in a way um, I, I want you to, to be open to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, okay? I want you to be open to conviction knowing that you're guilty, uh, but we have to submit ourselves to, to the scrutiny of the Lord, knowing that, that we're willing to be obedient to Him. We're willing to surrender ourselves, and we want God to be able to do a work in us. So let's just imagine. Some of you don't have to imagine too far back because it probably happened this morning. Uh, but, but let's say you've had a, you've had a hard day. Uh, your spouse was on your nerves. Your kids was going crazy. Maybe at, you were at work. And there's that one person at work that literally everything they do gets on your nerves, and, and they, they've been around you quite a bit. And so we're thinking about these things that put this pressure on us, that somebody is pushing your buttons, and you, you have this experience where your anger starts to, to bubble up a little bit. Maybe, maybe some of us, it bubbles up real quick. And the first thing that we want to do is we want to go to our friends or our family and we want to start to vent. And a lot of us vent. Venting is, is actually a great way to deal with things. But the problem is, is not only do we tell about what's bothering us, but we start to talk about the person that's bothering us and we put them down, right? A little malicious, a little bit slanderous, and we talk about them in a, in a super negative way. And if that person were to hear it, Gosh, it wouldn't be good. It wouldn't be good if they heard it. Like we, we accidentally start going from a vent into a gossip fest, and, we, and then everybody involved is talking about that one person and all of the things that they do that gets on everybody's nerves. And, and the next thing you know, you're just you're putting somebody down. Or maybe you, had a, you went out for lunch, and your food showed up after you've waited for forever, Maybe it showed up and it's prepared wrong. Maybe it's got things on it you didn't want. And, and you sit there and you get worked up because you're paying for this meal. And it's like you go home, you get on social media, you be like, don't go to that place. You can't get nothing down there. And you put this snooty comment on social media. And it's like you let your anger lead the way. And the next thing you know, you've publicly said something to everybody that came from a moment of being upset and under pressure, and you've shared that with the world. Maybe you like to get in your car and listen to music that ain't about the Lord. I mean, uh, <laughs> me and Jeremy were standing in the hall of school the other day reflecting back on circa 2004 and, and was singing some of the songs that we used to listen to back then, and it's like, none of them are good. 
<laughs> there ain't a good word in there. And it's like when you listen to those things and you let that speech be part of, of, of what you're hearing, then the next thing you know, like you're singing along and, and maybe you skip the first cuss word, but then you accidentally say the second one. And it's like, what are you doing? Like, look at this, look at this language that's become part of your life. And lastly, think about the last time you were upset and you took your frustration out on somebody that actually didn't deserve it. Um, and, and you let circumstances from outside invade into your home. And then the next thing you know, you snap on your spouse or your kids come up and you're like, I wish you'd just go on in there somewhere. And we do these things. We, we, we need to be aware of, of what's happening in our life. And I want you to be encouraged because even though I'm super guilty of this, I know that it's okay. I know that just because I've done it before, Colossians says this, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. I don't care if it was this morning, that's used to now, right? I used to do these things. I used to gossip every day. I used to vent and slander and malice. I used to talk terrible about people that I didn't like. I used to do these things. I used to listen to every bad song on the planet. I used to. But the good news is, is that today is a new day. This moment is a new moment. That God's mercies are new. And so we used to. Okay, It's okay that you used to. Because what matters is going from here on. And it says, I used to, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. I used to, but this is a chance for us to move forward into the future and let the used to's be used to's. Right? Like, I don't have to bring them with me as I go forward. I can choose this moment to let them remain as I used to. See, James says it like this. When we receive... Uh, well, James doesn't say this, but I, I, I wrote this. When we receive God's <laughs> gifts, we are also given responsibility of moral behavior. Okay? And this ties right back in with what James does say. When, when we receive that gift from God... We have to rid ourselves of that filthiness. When we receive God's gifts, we have to rid ourselves of moral filth and evil that's prevalent. We have to humbly accept the word that's planted in us, which can save us. And this is, this is a paradox of faith. Me and Jeremy were talking about paradoxes of faith the other day. He's had it on his heart. And, and it's like, okay, you receive a gift that's free that you don't deserve, that's filled with God's grace. And, and with it, as you receive it, there starts to be a transformation in your life. There's, there's a conviction of the things that you used to do that you know that you shouldn't be doing anymore. And each one of these little things starts to, to change us and, and work on us from the inside so that we know that we need to get rid of and we need to start changing the way that we live so that we can remove the moral filth and we can remove that evil that was so prevalent in our life, because when we talk to people, we need to think about, are we communicating God's love? Are we showing them that we love God and that we love them? Are we, are we representing 
God in such a way that when they see us, they know us because of how we love one another. And, and when we talk to each other and we get in conversation and we get in arguments and we have conflict, that's not the case 99 out of 100 times. So we have to get rid of this. And I've highlighted humbly accept. Because this is a, this is a thing that is necessary. And it's so hard for me because I like to plan my own steps. I like to be in control of my own life. I like to know where I'm going. And, and it's hard for me to humbly accept from time to time what the Word is saying to me. And it says that we have to humbly accept the Word that's planted in us because the truth is, is we cannot rid ourselves of the moral filth. We cannot rid ourselves of evil if we're on our high horse thinking that we're going to do it on our own, thinking that we're going to be able to change the way that we think, thinking that we're going to change our own heart, thinking that we're going to be able to just change our mind about the people that get on our nerves and the people that we don't get along with. We cannot do it on our own. You cannot do it by yourself. And so you have to be able to, to, to humble yourself. And, and really, we have to go before God knowing that he is higher than we are. And we like to meet God eye to eye. I, you know what I mean? Like, that, that, that's a terrible thing to say, but I like to go to God like he's another man and be like, God, I need you to help me with this, when really I need to go to God on my face and say, God, I need you to do this and let me be a part of it. Like, I need you to bring me along in this because I cannot on my own. There's no way that you're going to beat those addictions on your own. There's no way that you're going to be able to quit looking at pornography on your own. There's no way that you're going to be able to, to raise your family in such a way that, that they are your number one ministry and you show them the love of God in the day-to-day. -day. You cannot do it if you're doing it by yourself. But instead, you have to humbly accept the Spirit of the Lord that comes along with us to bring us into that because the word is planted in us. It's designed to be there. And we talk about the Holy Spirit helping us. We talk about, about being anointed by the Holy Spirit, that there is an empowerment from the Holy Spirit that allows us to live a transformed life. And, and it, it seems like it's foreign, like it's something that's outside that you're trying to invite in. And it seems like it's a foreign thing. But the truth of it is, is that from the very beginning, in the garden, we were created to have fellowship, relationship, and communion with the Lord. And so from the very beginning, when we were made complete in the garden, as a humankind, we were made to walk with God in the garden. And we surrendered that to the enemy, and we were placed out of the garden. And so when we receive the word of God, when we open our heart and we receive God's gifts, it's not something foreign that's coming into us, but instead it's something that has been long lost, that is being returned to its rightful place, and it belongs there. It belongs there. And, and we seek to fill this hole where the word of God belongs by filling it with moral filth, immorality, and evil, and we try to fill it up, but the truth is there's only one thing that can fill it, and we have to humbly accept it and allow it to grow. It has to grow in us. We need it to put down roots and let the righteousness of God be produced in it. Verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves, but do 
what it says. Well, there's, I mean, you can't really sugarcoat that one. I mean, that says what it says. Uh, don't just listen to it. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So <laughs> when you leave here in a little bit and you go out and you go down and, and you're going to eat somewhere and, and service ain't great, I want you to think about, like, have you forgotten what, what it looks like? It's like we look in the mirror and we are made in God's image and we see the glory of God reflected in the word through us and we turn around and it's like God disappears. That, that reflection of God that we are created in his image and we look in the mirror and then we turn around and it's like God is gone from the equation. We see the word, we see God, we see God in us. And then we turn around and we forget about it and we don't apply it to ourselves. And, and it's like we, we've forgotten that we actually have to do it. <laughs> like, wait a minute, right? So verse 25 says, whoever looks intently at the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now, I want to take a moment and, and think about perfect law that gives freedom. And this is like a few verses ago, James says, the word planted in us, and now he's using different language to say the perfect law. And so... We know that Christ is the Word, and the perfect law, is that something different? Is that like the 600 different laws that the Jewish people had to follow that Moses wrote as he was on the mountain? Like, what exactly are we talking about when we talk about perfect law? Do I have to dress a certain way? Do I have to act a certain way? Do I need to look a certain way? Do I need to eat certain foods? Do I need to do this and that? Like, what is this perfect law that gives freedom? Because it sounds like when you start talking about laws, that what you're really doing is restricting freedom. And it's not something that gives freedom. It's a burden. And it's like, wait, what do you, what do you mean, James? What are you saying here, friend? And so I, I got this nice quote from, from David Nystrom. And it says, for Jesus then, the law was a more accurate representation of God's character in the concrete, and was therefore a joy and not a burden. See, this is a picture of the life in the kingdom of God that neither Jesus nor James are cautious or reluctant of pointing out that the commands of God must be followed. These commands are love for your neighbor, forgiveness, the preservation of life, the abstinence from idolatry and from sexual immorality, and these are so closely illustrative of God's character that there appears to be no room for flexibility. So in this moment with, with David Nystrom here, I'm like, okay. So every time that we see the laws of God, it's trying to represent the character of God that, that when Jesus came, he said, I'm not here to abolish the law. But instead, I'm here to fulfill the law. And, and Jesus made the laws even harder. He said, 
you've heard not to murder, but I say don't even be angry at your brother. And if you've got something going on, you need to go and settle it. You've, you've heard, I mean, like, Jesus, Jesus went after it. And, and he made the laws even harder because they are part of the perfection of God's character. And so when we look intently into the perfect law, into the character of God, when you look at that, it gives freedom. Because we see the goodness of God. We see the heart of God. We see the will of God for each of us. We know that it gives us freedom. And if we continue into it, that we will be blessed. And so we don't need to just glance at it. But we need to look intently. We need to study it. We need to gaze at it. We need to spend time looking into the character of God, looking at the Word of God and, and realizing what it looks like. We need to see what it shows us and reveals to us so that when we apply it and we continue in it, that we have been promised that the things that we do as we continue in following the Word of God will be blessed. And this is where James kind of turns it and the rubber meets the road. And this hit me real hard. And it grieved me because I know that I am so guilty. Verse 26 says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. So in the spirit of Clay Bishop, I put a couple Greek words up here for you. <laughs> Just a couple, you know, like not too many. And it's actually, they have the same root word. Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not any, any bit of a, like a linguist or anything. But, but I thought this was interesting because it's two different forms of the same root. And we got threskos and we got threskaya. Okay, And so the first one, those who consider themselves religious, if you break that word down, I read that it says that it stands for outer ceremonies. right? It is the fearing and the trembling of the Lord on the outside. It is the worship of God on the outside. So if, if you find yourself to be a person who fears the Lord, who trembles before God, who, who worships God. Maybe you raise your hands. Maybe you say amen. Maybe you're singing along with the songs and you're listening and you're writing notes down. That if you consider yourself to be a person who worships God, at least on the outside, and then you go and let your tongue run wild. You're not in control of it. You're just saying things. You're, you're saying mean-spirited things. You're saying things that are, that are fueled by anger, and, and you're not keeping a tight rein on your tongue. The next one, threskaya, means your religious discipline, your worship on the inside, right? So if we do the right things and let our tongue run wild, our worship and our discipline before the Lord is absolutely worthless. And that scares the pants off of me. That's not a good thing to think about. Like, like when, I, when I raise my hands and I, I'm trying to, 
to, to worship God and then I go out and I say something mean to my wife or, or I go to school and I, I, I'm, I'm with my coworkers and, and teachers love to complain sometimes. And we get in a circle and we just want to complain. And it's like, at that point, in order to make myself feel better in the moment, I'm sacrificing the value of my relationship with God. That the disciplines that I have, reading my Bible, praying, worshiping, my, my, my worship and my discipline becomes worthless because I can't control my tongue. Verse 27 says that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after the orphans and the widows in distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. See, I used to do these things. I used to be polluted by the world. I used to say whatever came to my mind. I used to go home and sit on the couch and watch TV shows that are filled with bad language, borderline pornography. I used to sit and listen to these music that, that had nothing but angry messages that talk about objectifying women and doing drugs and, and pursuing these things that are absolutely ungodly. I used to do those things. But religion that God accepts as pure and faultless is this. To keep yourself from being polluted by the world. To remove those things. And then to take care of orphans and widows. Orphans and widows represent something profound in this moment. Because God is, a, he, he is, he is the father to the fatherless. And he, he takes care of the, of the orphans and the widows. He wants the people who are at the highest risk of being taken advantage of to be cared for by the people who follow his word. And so when we see to look after orphans and widows, it means if you hear somebody being talked bad about, it is your responsibility to stop it. You have to say, listen, that's, that's a person that God loves. We don't need to be talking bad about them. And like some people won't like that. Some people won't like it. But if somebody's being taken advantage of, we have a responsibility to step in and say, this is not God's love at this point. We can't do this. We can't talk about this. When somebody is being injustified, if, if we see injustice in the world, God wants us to be a person who seeks justice. And so, if we want to have pure, faultless religion, we have to be careful how we talk to people. We have to be careful how we allow other people to talk about people. We have to show that our primary goals is to love God and to love people. And the way that we live should be to take care of those people. Micah says it like this. He has shown you, O oh mortal, what is good. God shows us what's good. He wrote it down. Well, God didn't write it down, but, but he gave it to us. This is his word right here. 
this tells you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? You got to hear it and do it. Act justly. Love mercy and walk humbly with God. And I strike out zero for three half the time. I mean, how often am I being justice for the people being abused, for the people being taken advantage of? How many times do I see and hear somebody being put down and I'm quiet about it? Sometimes I even, I, I jump in there and I'm like, yeah, on my nerves like how many times do I let it pass injustice in the world and in my own life in my circle of influence I'm letting injustice reign to love mercy when I see somebody that's wronged me and I'm merciful and gracious in the moment to forgive and that I humble myself to walk with God me and Cam joke about seven times, 70 times, all the time. Like when somebody gets on us, they're like, I forgave them again. Mark, tally Mark. Like I, we're keeping count or something ridiculous. Like I forgave them one more time. Uh, they're running out. <laughs> it's down to seven times 69 now, you know. And it's like we, we do that. But God wants us to love justice, to, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Jeremiah says, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong to boast of their strength or the rich to boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. In these I delight, declares the Lord. And so when we, when we want to do something good, when we want to be proud of ourselves, it should be a pride to know that we understand what God is all about, that we have looked intently into his character, that we have seen what he says, and that not only do we understand it and know it, but we do it. We don't just hear it and then walk away and forget about it, but we see the reflection of God in ourselves, and we carry that out, and it becomes a part of our everyday life. And this is hard. James has made it rough on us. But we should make the most of every opportunity. We should be gracious with our speech because the goal is for us to bring out the best in others, not put them down, not cut them out. So let's pray together. Father God, help us to see this, to hear it, to look intently upon what you have said to us, God. Help us to have our hearts open to receive that the word that belongs there would begin to be nourished, that it would begin to grow, that you as the gardener would come along and that you would help us to clip away the things that don't belong. The things that we used to do, we don't want to do that anymore. That God, as we call ourselves followers of your way, that we believe in you, that you would help us to be put 
onto a new path that, that we would be guided by your hand that we would see what you've written that we would hear what you've said and that it would become a part of what we do let us be more than hearers of the word but let us be doers let us stand for justice and mercy. Let us show your righteousness in our own life, God. I pray that you would anoint each person here as they have heard the word today, God, that it would, that it would trickle in and that it would grow in their heart and that they would be challenged, that the conviction that we all feel of being guilty would lead to a transformation. Help us to walk humbly with you because this is what you want from us. You've showed us your character. Help it become part of who we are. God, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to change and that your mercies are new and that your grace is sufficient and that without you, we can't do it. So be with us, bless us, anoint us, and lift us up so that we can walk with you. Amen.